The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, welcome to Resurrection Sunday. I really am glad that you're here, our whole team, just preparing for you to join us. And my hope would be that whether you're a guest, whether you've been here for a long time, that you sense this celebration because we really are filled with hope because of what today means. So we're going to jump in to the scriptures. Uh, We're going to be in Matthew 28, kind of towards the end today. I got a couple of other references that I'll make um, to some verses. Uh, We'll get to that here in just a little bit. I've been on the receiving end of broken promises. And I, I think you probably were aware that that can hurt and um, it's kind of sucks. But I also realized that you've probably also been on the receiving end of broken promises. And when we think about the stories of what happened, um, often there's differing measures of pain or heartache or even broken relationships because of maybe how severe the situation was. And like I said, that really sucks. That really is a bummer. But the other side of the equation too is If you and I are humble enough to admit it, we've been also on the giving end of broken promises. My hope would be, though, in in situations like that, that for us there's a humility, that there's a regret, that there's apologies made, and even the ability to reconcile because it is important. Um, Broken promises are everywhere. And, and, And in some ways it's weird because in certain contexts we expect them. There's, you know, politicians that run for office on certain platforms with all kinds of promises, and probably none of us are surprised when those promises aren't fulfilled. We just go, that's just, you know, politics or whatever we sort of say. Or you hear commercials or, or, you know, whatever about medications or, or this certain cure thing. If you take this thing, it'll do this, only to realize it doesn't really work that way. Like I said, we're almost never surprised anymore. In fact, another example would be marriage. I mean, uh, right now, about half of marriages seem to fail. And so when we hear of a broken promise in a marriage, it's not surprising. Or you hear of a famous person with a certain reputation for being kind, but then you find out that behind the scenes, they're not who we thought they were. And there's all kinds of ways that we kind of expect that to be the case. It's not a political thing or a church thing, or a world thing. It's just a thing thing. And we've all not only been the givers of broken promises, but the receivers of broken promises. It's why when you look at the writers of scripture, um, they discuss the warning of you and I making rash vows, making rash promises. In fact, if you read Proverbs, you'll find a bunch of couplets in there throughout the book of Proverbs that talk about the idea of being careful about promises because there's a danger to them. When you look at the words of Jesus, what you'll find is that in Matthew chapter 5, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, he goes into this whole discourse on all kinds of topics. In Matthew 5, starting at verse 33, again, Jesus is saying this, again, you have heard it said, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair black, uh, white or black. Again, naturally, I probably probably add that in there. Um, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond that comes from the evil one. And then Jesus' half-brother, later on, as you look at scripture, Jesus' half-brother writes a letter to the churches we call James. And in James chapter 5, 
He writes this in verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to simply say is yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. And when you read what Jesus said, and when you read what James is talking about, they're not talking about not making vows or promises. They have their context. There's contractual agreements you enter into in business that are legal binding promises. There's wedding vows that get said every day of the year all over the planet all the time, and those are very good things. In context, what they're talking about is having a pattern of a character flaw in your life where you make promises, but you break them regularly. And so you have to resort to, I promise this time because you promised last time and you didn't come through. You promised last time and you didn't show up. You promised last time and you did the opposite of what you promised. And so you're stuck resorting to, no, 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 no. I promise this time. What it means is you have work to do. At the end of the day, what we're saying is this, humans are generally bad about promises. That's not really news to anybody, but, but there's another part of the conversation that needs to be brought up too. And so I'm gonna take you back to the beginning. If, if you've read the Bible at all, it starts with Genesis. Now, if, if you get to chapter three, you have this point where there's a promise relationship between God and mankind that is broken and what happens right at the very beginning is with this promise broken, God immediately enacted a strategy to restore the relationship. So follow me here. Right after the promise is broken in Genesis 3, God says he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And if you don't have any idea what that means, it's talking about what God will do to the enemy who tempted mankind away from what God designed for them. And so this verse was looking ahead. In other words, God was saying, I will take care of what broke you. If you fast forward from Genesis 3, nine chapters to Genesis chapter 12, we have a guy that enters the picture and his name is Abraham. Anybody ever heard of this guy in the Bible, Abraham? Raise your hands, okay? All right, some of you in fact would know this, okay? You ready? I know you're already doing it. I didn't have to say a word. You're already like, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons, right? You know it. Now, the re <laughs> we're still going? All right, hey, come on. All the motions, right, right arm, left arm. You put your right foot in, okay. Um, anyway, different song. But um, there, there's this guy, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, and what happens is God gets very specific about the strategy that he's put in place that he mentions in Genesis 3, but then he gets very specific or more specific in Genesis chapter 12. And what he says is this, He's, God says to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and, I, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, this is Genesis 12. This is an incredible promise because from today back to then, we're talking thousands and thousands of years of history. In fact, Andy Stanley in his book, Irresistible, says it this way. We can't imagine how ridiculous that sounded to a man with no people standing in the middle of nowhere. But that promise initiated a chain of events that would roll out over the course of about 2,000 years years. 
And the amazing part of this is that, that uh, God talks about you and I when he gives the last part of this promise to Abraham when he says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Raise your hand if you're part of all peoples on earth. Just come on real quick here, all right? So yeah, all of us. God is talking about all of us when you look at the promise that he gave forever ago to Abraham. But where sin broke us and our sin our broken promise dealt a blow to our relationship with God. Our heavenly father's great love for us enacted a rescue plan. Now I'm going to skip over a lot here, but when you go back to Abraham and you look at all that happens throughout the old covenant or the old Testament, most of us are familiar. Many of us at least are familiar with this idea of, of, of a title for God being the God of Abraham, right? But it doesn't stay there, remember? Because it goes from that to the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then it's extended even further because we even know him as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob or the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's other names for God in scripture that we can give as title, but another one as you move even further through the Old Testament is the God of our father, David, okay? A king that came along much later than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why do I say that? Because what God has done is made a promise way back in Genesis chapter three, repeated with more detail in Genesis chapter 12 and carried throughout the old covenant. I bring it up as a big deal because the writers of scripture over and over and over are gonna refer to this promise, are gonna refer to this idea of who God is and what he's promised throughout the Old Testament. In fact, you can draw all kinds of, of, of sentences and words and phrases that are said that are prophetic. And then you have what we would even call the prophetic books of the Old Testament. And we're familiar with some of those. You have Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all these different individuals. But they even got specific to say there's coming a Messiah. There's coming a Christ. There's coming a Savior. There's coming this conquering king. And so over and over, this idea of a promise that originated specifically with Abraham and is carried throughout the Old Testament is about God fulfilling that promise. And as time goes on, yes, it's reiterated. And then you get to the end of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, Malachi. And Malachi is the last prophet. And then what happens in history, there's about 400 years of silence. And in that 400 years of silence, you can still read history but, but as far as the Bible is concerned, we don't have much of what God is up to. But then all of a sudden, what happens is the Savior shows up. And he's born of a virgin into a poor family in an animal pen as a baby. The one who would open blind eyes and strengthen lame legs and multiply food and, and perform these miracles as well as teach with authority ends up admitting he's the Messiah. And one of, disciples, uh, one of Jesus' disciples said it really well. John, in a verse that many of us know pretty decently, for God so loved the world, there it is again, the world, mankind, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world would be saved through him. There's the the most specific we can get about how God has this rescue plan that's right there in, in front of John's face when he writes these words. John thinking back to spending time with Jesus, watching all that happened, seeing the conversation between between Jesus and Peter about being the Messiah. And John says, it's God's great love, you guys. It's God's rescue plan for us. And that's what's going on when you look at scripture. The one doing miracles, the one teaching with authority, the one that ends up enraging religious leaders gets himself killed by crucifixion. The Messiah is dead. At that point, it's done. The rescue plan is over. And the question is, what kind of conquering king dies? Now, don't take for granted that you know the other part of the story. Don't take that for granted. Because at this point, we go, this is a conquering king. And if it were my way, I wouldn't do it that way. But God often works outside of how we would do it. And so here's the conquering king that's dead. And, and I had read this this last week as I was studying. When the religious crowd and religious leaders heard Jesus say it is finished, they thought he is finished. And even the disciples believed it. Even the disciples scattered, afraid that they would be killed. They scattered and went back to what they used to do. They were fishermen, some of them. And they went back to it. But Matthew chapter 28. Jesus pays the price, he's crucified, he dies, and he's buried in the tomb. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I'm going to fast forward here to verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Think about that. Right there is the fulfillment of the promise. 
Right there, thousands of years later, is the fulfillment of what God said in Genesis 3, but also what God said to Abraham about, I promise to be a blessing for all nations through you. God fulfilled it, and it's true. And when you look at the lineage that Matthew puts together, it draws all the way back to Abraham. When you look at what God has done, it's an absolute miracle of gigantic proportions. But here's what I love. A promise given to Abraham is fulfilled. I already said it earlier. You and I are terrible about making promises, fulfilling promises, and receiving broken promises. But not God. I want to remind us where we aren't good about promises, God always is. Where we've reaped the pain of broken promises, where we've been the giver of broken promises, that's not our God. And where you and I in the world that at times can feel like it drags us down. You and I can feel like everything is so painful or, or, or hopeless or, or frustrating or whatever it might be. We find our hope and joy in our life in what God has done because God is a promise keeper even if you and I aren't. Yeah, I get excited about it. Yeah, I think it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, it makes me want to dance and do the wave. I realize my rap career is just getting started. But okay, that was just stupid. Okay, move on. What God did was promise to clear the path the day that sin fell into our way. And he proves it throughout the story of Israel and the manger and the death and burial and then resurrection of Jesus. There are all kinds of movements in our world of leaders that begin a movement and then get killed somehow. But when you think about faith in Christ, that's the difference. He didn't stay dead. Paul says he resurrected, and if he didn't, we're to be pitied beyond all people. But he did. And when we talk about God being a promise keeper, yes, we're going to have this as a series, actually, for the next bunch of weeks. And I encourage you to come back. We're going to talk about the promises of God. But I wanted to start with today by talking about the greatest promise. And the greatest promise is all nations on earth will be blessed through Abraham and it's fulfilled in what God did in Christ. Because if you thought for a moment that if you earn your way out of the bad stuff by doing good stuff, you're missing the point. If you thought that somehow there's another way, there's only one way and it's through the Savior Jesus. That the relationship is restored where sin broke it because of what God has done in Christ, his death and burial and resurrection. Are you with me today? That when we talk about them, we show up and we, we gorge ourselves on donuts and put out confetti cannons. It's like, look, we can celebrate. It's why for two weeks before today, we did a series called Celebration. Because there are times that it's absolutely appropriate to celebrate. And sometimes we need to, even when circumstances aren't good. Why? Because our hope in Christ is always there. That's the anchor. That's the cornerstone. That's the foundation of our faith and the most important promise. And we can't forget that. We, 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 can't, we can't let it be something we celebrate one day. 
It's a reminder of what God has done so that every day can be different. That if you battle anxiety and hopelessness, you lean into Christ. If you battle addiction, you lean in to Christ. If you battle feeling anger, you lean in to Christ. Whatever it is that ails you and brings you down and tries to bring upon you a hopelessness, you lean into Christ because Jesus said, come to me. I paid the price so you can carry hope every day. I'm out of wind. But that's it. All nations on earth will be, ble- will be blessed through you, I promise. Love God. That's why Easter's a big deal. Because he fulfilled it. That's why we celebrate. But it's also why it's not a one and done. 364 more days before we do it again. But a reminder of what can happen in our hearts every day. I know I've already said it, but it's one man, an obscure nation, a whole litany of judges and kings and history from the Old Testament, prophets, thousands of years that go on in between Abraham and today and 2,000 years between Abraham and Jesus. It's remarkable. But listen to me, it's a reminder that God is a promise keeper. Now, there are people that you're sitting out here now, you might be online right now, and you're going, well, yeah, you say that, but I've prayed for things and nothing happened. I've hoped for things and it didn't go the way I thought it would go. In fact, it went the opposite. And, and, and I don't know about you, but, but I can admit that there are times where I feel let down by God. Anybody else? Now, I know that that's not necessarily popular. I know that there's actually even worship songs that say God will never let us down. And I struggle to believe that's true, but let me give you the context. Because oftentimes what we want and what we pray for and what we expect isn't necessarily God's agenda. And so don't hear me say God is a promise keeper, which means you can pray whatever you wanna pray and expect whatever you expect and everything's gonna fall into place. Because we know that's not true. Intuitively we get it. It doesn't mean we don't pray for things. It doesn't mean we ask, but sometimes prayer is more about God shaping you than twisting his arm and trying to make him do what you want. And so I get it. I say it with trepidation. God is a promise keeper, but don't think for a second you won't be let down. But the challenge is you and I leaning in and allowing ourselves to be conformed to the image of Christ. That when we begin to, to have the desires after him, desires that he puts in place, And again, as we talk about the promises of God over the coming weeks, I'm excited to paint the picture. Encourage you to come on back. But today is worth celebrating because Jesus. Today is worth celebrating because God's promise from the beginning was to deal with the brokenness of sin, and he did. And we have a savior who two days ago, on a day we call Good Friday, and I had a whole message about it two days ago that we gave a little more somber, which is hard for me. We talked about why it's good Friday through the lens of eternity. But today we get to the party. If you haven't had a donut yet, I command you in the name of Jesus, go have a donut. (laughs) I didn't check, but there might be gluten-free ones if you have to have that. But there's something about our need, you guys, to hold this in our hearts every day. Because life isn't always easy and things don't always go our way, but we lean in. 
And listen to me, I'll be very clear. You might be here today and you, you came by invitation or you've been a part of Grove checking things out, kicking the tires, whatever it might be, but maybe you don't know where you're at in this conversation. There is a God who, as I mentioned from John, the disciple that followed Jesus and then wrote about what he experienced. By the way, you don't talk about something being legit. These disciples that wrote about their experience, James, the half-brother of Jesus, who wrote a letter to the church, these guys died as martyrs for their faith. They believed so wholeheartedly in what they were writing about, that they traveled all around and helped establish faith in Christ all over the place. And then every one of them but John gave their lives. And I've said before, John was boiled in oil and survived, which would be horrendous. And then he was exiled to an island as punishment to live out the rest of his life. We're not following a book. The Bible's amazing. And yeah, absolutely, I believe it's the word of God, totally. But step back for a second and realize what you have is these eyewitness accounts going, I'm sold on this. Why do I bring that up? Because for some of you, you go, I don't know where I'm at in this conversation. I, I don't like sounding like a pitch man. So forgive me here, but I wanna tell you something. There is a God that loves you so much. And this is what John said. God so loved you so much that Jesus went to the cross to deal with the brokenness of relationship. And if you're in here today and, and maybe you've never heard it that way or, or, or you've never made it a personal invitation thing, it's not meant to be a, in a religious box on a Sunday thing. It's meant to be personal to you. It's an invitation for you to open your heart to Christ and invite him to come into your world. As I said earlier, it's not you measuring up the good things and when I'm pretty sure they outweigh the bad. But what we realize is it's about surrender to what God has already done in Christ. And like I said, if you're here today and you wanna walk out knowing you're forgiven, you wanna walk out with that fresh start, you wanna leave here clean slate, here we go, moving forward, then I wanna have you pray with me in just a moment. And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've heard this before, or maybe you haven't heard it before. But that's the story. The story, though, is meant to be for you. And so I want you to pray with me if maybe you've prayed this prayer before, but, but you've kind of gone your way. You've done your thing. You, you, you've, you know, say people say, walked away from church or don't do the church thing anymore, or, like sown your wild oats or whatever. Fine. But the invitation is there for you too. And so whether you've prayed before and you've just done your thing now, or you haven't made it personal ever, I want you to pray a prayer with me. If you're in here and you want that fresh start, I'm just gonna ask you in a moment just to raise your hand. You're in here and you go, you know, I could use a clean slate. It's not about your works. It's about believing on what God did in Christ. And if that's you today, I just want you to, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three, where are you at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Raise your hands, anybody else? Seven hands. You can put your hands down. Eight, nine, you can put your hands down. Anybody else? Fresh start. Pray a simple prayer. Nine hands raised, anybody else? Here's what I wanna do. I wanna pray, and if you've prayed this prayer before, would you pray with us? But if you were one of those nine that, that just raised your hand, I just want you to pray and invite Jesus in personally. It's not like religious words you have to say or whatever. It's about believing and making the invitation. So let's just pray together. So if you've prayed this before, pray with us. If you raise your hand, definitely pray. Just say, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done, that you paid the price so I could have life. It's not about my good works. It's about you. Thank you for all you've done. Come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sin. I want you to be my savior. You to be my Lord. That I follow you each day. I need that fresh start. 
in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 Would you give a hand to nine people that said, hey, man, I want to invite Jesus in? Before we dismiss, I want to pray one more prayer for all of us. God, I am so grateful for your promises, but in particular today, the cornerstone promise. In particular today, the foundation promise of everything else that our lives are built upon, and that is you. Thank you for what you've done. I pray we leave here with a hope. I pray we leave with a skip in our step. I pray that people would leave here even delivered of addiction, delivered of things that have burdened them down. I pray your freedom. I pray life. I pray strength, and not just on a religious Sunday in a box like this, God, but literally as we live out our days. You are with us and that's our hope every day into eternity because you made a way in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church message podcast. To keep up to date with us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, or check us out at our website, grove.church.